0: Cambridge 105
1: Radio Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio
2: We have put together a programme which
0: celebrates women. We find women who are striking out on their own and achieving some extraordinary
2: results. I'm Lyndon S., and I'm Susie Thorpe, and we produce and present Women Making Waves. On today's programme, we hear from Kasia
0: Wozniak, our Polish contributor, who's sent a fascinating account of the women's pro choice protests in Poland. Kasia has spoken to protesters, academics, and politicians about the Polish government's decision to ban abortion even in the case of severe foetal abnormalities.
2: And Jenny Jeffries calls her new book, A Labour of Love. It's a cookery book full of recipes and stories from farmers across the UK. That's all coming up on this episode of Women Making Waves. The Polish government's sudden move to implement a very divisive court ruling that demands abortions become illegal, irrespective of cases where a foetus is diagnosed with a serious and irreversible birth defect, has generated anger and protest on a huge scale. This has taken the government by surprise. We asked Women Making Waves contributor Kasia Wozniak, who lives in
0: Poland, to send us a report on the protests. She sent this powerful account, explaining the reasons behind the protest and the language the women are using to express their fury.
2: This
1: is the sound of anger and frustration. This is war, shouts the crowd gathered at the Liberty Square in Poznań in midwest Poland. I'm Kasia Woźniak and welcome to this edition of Women Making Waves where I present a report on the pro-abortion and anti-governmental protests that have been taking place in Poland for over two weeks now. Polish women, supported by husbands, partners, families and friends, and by one another of course, took it to the streets to protest against a near total ban on abortion. Poland's already restrictive abortion laws would, under the law proposed by the Constitutional Tribunal, ban abortions for reasons of fetal abnormality. The tribunal declared they violate the Polish constitution. This statement, as you can imagine, caused a huge unrest in Poland and beyond. Regardless of the pandemic, protesters surge onto the streets and demand a complete rethink of abortion laws in Poland, but they also campaign against the ruling party, strongly supported by the Catholic Church. I've spoken with Dr Stanley Bill, Senior Lecturer in Polish Studies and the Director of the Polish Studies Program at the University of Cambridge. Stanley is the founder and editor at large of Notes from Poland an independent news outlet about Poland. He has spent more than 10 years living in Poland. We spoke about political reasons behind it.
3: This was simply something that was always coming, despite the fact that Kaczynski knows that the majority of Polish society is opposed to any change to the abortion law. But it was coming because of promises made effectively to very conservative allies in the church and very conservative members of his party. So this was an issue that, in fact, he's been postponing for years. But very important allies of his who have supported his party, supported his presidential candidate, helped to get them elected in the church, and particularly in the very conservative parts of the church. Um, and it, it's a uh, payback time in, in political terms.
1: Law and Justice, Pravo i Sprawiedliwość, or Peace, PIS, have been ruling in Poland since 2015. The first attempt to tighten the abortion laws happened in 2016 and people took it onto the streets. The government wanted to introduce a total ban on abortion and penalties on whomever committed abortion, including the woman. The 2016 protests were polite, but this time they're not. It is not a violent protest, don't get me wrong, but it is vulgar. Polish women have had it, and they are now not afraid of expressing it. The main slogan of the protest is wypierdalać, literally translated as get the f*** out of here. About the language of the protest, I spoke to Dr. Marta Mazurek, a specialist in American literature,
4: feminist, activist, and a member of Poznan City Council. And today is just one simple word which encompasses the anger we would say and but also marks uh, the border of communication and what happened those in power finally heard the word i would say that ironically or maybe uh, or maybe Truly. Well, you need to choose your vocabulary, your language. You, you need to adjust it to the interlocutor. And the interlocutor understands language that you know. So, so finally they understood. They heard the language of the street. But there is a lot of uh, connection between mm, like, using those swear words or cursing during a protest uh, with whatever happens, word are like weapons. We grab onto those words. We want to shock others during protests to also express uh, our despair, our anger. There are situations When those vulgar words take on great power, I would say, they become an expression of rebellion, despair, anger, but also they become an expression of strength. And this is what I think happened to this slogan. Apart from what Marta has said,
1: on the boards you see a linguistic festival of words and you do see that there is some sort of strategy in the used words. I've translated some of them so that you can get the idea. They say, this is war, woman's hell. Peace thinks Genitalia is an Italian airline. We won't be living coffins. I think, I feel, I decide. Hey, Yarek, which is Kaczyński's name. Hey, Yarek, leave us girls alone. And my favorite one let's overthrow the government and let's go my love when at the protest in poznan i spoke to kasha and her friend i asked them about the language and what they thought about it the black protest was the first step everyone wanted to do it in a peaceful and quiet and cultural way however our government is not allowing us to do that so now it's it's finished it's done I also think that no one should be angry with us women or call us in a bad way because if if you mess around with women, that's the outcome. And also, apart from that, um, at the parliament, uh, Mr. Kaczynski is calling us in such and such a way, so it's not like they can do whatever they want and we can't. So far, the biggest protest took place on 30th of October in Warsaw. The capital city saw around 100,000 people marching along. Back in 2016, Kaczynski was forced to back down from the proposal of criminalise anyone seeking abortion. This time, though, there is a sense that the ultra-right government wants to humiliate women and put them down to the role of a living coffin. I spoke with Eva Wojciechowska, who participated in the protest in Wrocław.
4: The protest I have attended saw a lot of people. People are furious that the government is trying to restrict women's rights and treat us as unthinking beings who do not have any willpower nor emotions. Wrocław is really angry and will fight till the end. We, as women, cannot give up on our fundamental
1: human rights. At a protest in Poznań I spoke to a girl who brought a flag of the European Union with her. I asked her why she did that. And please beware that I recorded this interview when surrounded by a lot of motorbikes that were making a lot of noise. And I will explain about the motorbikes in a couple of seconds. When Poland was joining the EU, I was 25 years old. I was just about to graduate from my university and I thought that there is a bright future in front of Poland. It was a very important moment for me. I was waiting for it since I was little. I still do remember the election of 1989, During the five, actually six years of uh, peace ruling here in Poland, everything has been destroyed. I feel betrayed by the party, by the government. I've never voted for them, but I never, never assumed the situation could be that bad. The protests carry a lot of symbols. The main logo of the protest is a red lightning, which is on almost every board and sticker, and it's all over the internet as well. It's a symbol of anger and frustration, but also of power and quick action. There is also a lot of solidarity, as you would expect from Poland. For example, blockades of streets are not thrown upon, and by honking, the drivers demonstrate support with the protesters. And I also mentioned the bikers before. They came to the Liberty Square in Poznań to express their support, and believe me, they made a lot of noise. Men support women in the fight for their rights, and I spoke to two bikers about that. What brought you here tonight? Well, we came for the protest to support our girls and women. Um, During those difficult times, our women that fight for their rights, we have an opportunity to help, so why not? Protests have been taking place not only in Poland. Between the 4th and the 8th of November, there will have been marches outside of Poland and protests already took place in Sweden, Norway, Germany, various cities like Bremen, Hanover and Berlin, but also in Austria, the Netherlands, Canada, Greece, Cyprus, the USA, and of course in England. Nottingham, London and Northampton are only the few places where the protests took place. I spoke with Anna Biaus Griffiths. Anna is a psychologist and a therapist. She's Polish and she works in the UK. She went to protest in London and Northampton.
4: The most expressed feeling I observed was uh, anger. And uh, you can feel how angry people are and the sentences uh, they had on their boards or whatever they shouted. They, they expressed lots of, lots of anger, frustration. So as a psychologist, I can understand their feelings. And that's why I also uh, joined this protest. Uh, obviously I, I stood a little bit out of the crowd because uh, we are during pandemic. So it's, it's very difficult to protest in this uh, very uh, difficult time, but um, people were shouting and uh, singing about how they don't accept what's going on in Poland at the moment.
1: Only today I've read about a woman who knitted a red lightning in front of the Polish embassy in London. She basically sat down on the steps and knitted that. What I also wanted to mention here is the demographic of the protests. Mostly young people go and protest. Uh, It's uh, the so-called C or Z generation that cannot bear the fact that someone, and in this case it's the government, wants to take their rights away. And as a younger generation in Poland, they do not fear asking what's theirs and demand what's basic human rights. Their moral sensitivity is high and they do know that the idea that the Catholic Church is the only moral setting institution in the country is absurd please do not uh, misunderstand me here it's not only young people who come and protest we've seen people from across uh, ages across generations people who come and protest because they think this uh, this law is unthinkable and they are against it and uh, this is actually quite an interesting change in the society uh, that older people also come and protest and the other change that um, has been observed is that the so-called bastion of peace which is the eastern part of Poland people over there including small towns they have also been protesting so what is it that they want? Marta Lempart is the initiator of the protest. She started her actions back in 2016. She's also the leader of the abortion rights movement in Poland. She said at a press conference, the revolution that is in progress in Poland is not just a struggle for abortion. It is a struggle for freedom. Freedom has been brutally violated and abortion is its symbol. People want the government to step down. They want a country that will not hate them. This is about the rule of law and Poland that is a homeland for all. To sum up this uh, short report, let's listen again to Dr. Stanley Bill. I ask him for a short assessment on the situation and maybe a look into the future, what might happen.
3: The situation actually hasn't yet changed in Poland with the abortion law, because this court ruling has not yet come into effect and will not come into effect until the government publishes the ruling. And therefore, I think the government might try to sit it out and then eventually perhaps pass some kind of legislation that slightly ameliorates the blow of the court's original decision. But apart from that, I think for any liberalisation Of Poland's abortion law. Uh, Polish women are going to have to wait a long time.
1: I reckon that when you listen to my report, you probably won't think that abortion was legal in Poland in 1960s and women from Western Europe, including Sweden, were coming to Poland to abort. That much has changed. Right, I am off now. My red lightning on my board needs a bit of brushing up, and maybe I'm just gonna add some wording to it. I'm thinking of the words Revolucja jest kobietom. Revolution is a woman. I'm Kasia Woźniak, and you've been listening to Women Making Waves. Revolution.
2: Coming up, we'll be joined by Jenny Jeffries, who describes her new book as a labour of love. The book features recipes from farmers across the UK.
3: Cambridge 105 Radio.
2: In 1960s Cambridge you might have shot at Joshua Taylor, gone roller skating at the Corn Exchange
1: and seen the Beatles perform live at the Regal Cinema. On Sunday mornings John Gannon takes you back in time with hits and memories from the swinging decade. John Gannon's 60s scene Sundays at 8am on the station that's live and local. Cambridge 105 Radio.
5: Looking to buy a new home this summer, but it feels out of reach? Think getting
0: on the property ladder just isn't an option for you. Think again. New homes in Haverhill and Cottenham are available now with shared ownership, with your mortgage deposit as low as from £4,000. The final two- and three-bedroom homes at Bower Place and Boyton Place also have exclusive incentive packages available worth over £2,500. With £1,000 shopping vouchers, £500 towards your solicitor's fees, and three months rent-free, book your viewing today to... To find out what's on offer. Reserve from just £99 and find your new home this summer. Think shared ownership. Think Complete Moves. Visit complete-moves.co.uk or call 20 3640 one today. Terms and conditions apply. Need dropping off at work? Miss the bus and must make that urgent appointment? Need picking up after a night out with your mates? Panther Taxis is your Cambridge-based taxi firm with over 700 drivers, offering great rates and local knowledge, ensuring you make it quickly and safely to your destination. We don't inflate our prices at peak times and all our drivers accept payments by cash or card. Book your taxi the easy way. Download our free Panther Taxis app through your app store and start booking your taxis on the go. Call Cambridge 715-715 or see panthertaxis.co.uk. For taxis, your local quick, reliable, and friendly taxi company in the city. Cambridge One Hundred and Five
1: Radio. Women making waves on Cambridge One Hundred and Five Radio.
2: After marrying an arable farmer, Jenny Jeffries decided to produce a cookery book celebrating the lives of British farmers. Jenny talks to Linda and I. For many people, life in the countryside represents a dream come true, a long-cherished goal to live the country life, a sort of reward for the hard work in the city. And so to our guest today, Jenny Jeffries. Jenny has recently compiled a new book called For the Love of the Land, a cookbook to celebrate British farmers and their food that was published in July this year. Now, Jenny will be the first to admit that she was a self-confessed urbanite before her marriage to a South Cambridgeshire arable farmer and life thereafter changed dramatically from an urban life to a rural one. Hello, Jenny. Welcome to Women Making Waves. Thank you very much
5: indeed. Thank you for having me.
2: Oh, It's a pleasure to have you today. So we will, of course, obviously talk about your very important book that I've just mentioned. But you also mentioned very recently that getting married into a farming life came to a very steep learning curve. Why was that?
5: Indeed, it was a very steep learning curve for me. Um, I grew up in the towns like Radlett and St Albans in Hertfordshire where they have pavements and restaurants on your doorstep which I very much took for granted. And when I married John, my husband, um, the the, the worlds were very far removed and very different. Um, I was very overwhelmed with how much hard graft really goes into farming and into living in the country. And I was really taken aback and quite overwhelmed but very passionate about it as well um and it was all very different from me and it was a real steep learning curve and i've enjoyed it thoroughly and being a farmer's wife definitely has its unique challenges um but it's a very lovely way of life and i wouldn't change it for the world
2: <laughs> that's good to hear yeah, because yeah. sounds absolutely amazing you've achieved a lot actually now you have two small children as well so you've yeah. really got into the the family life and the arable world how how is that all going now that you have produced this book? We will mention this book, obviously, but that's the whole yeah. point. But how has it has it been since the book? How have you? Um, what's the sort of reactions to your book? I suppose.
5: It's been received really enthusiastically. I'm so grateful for it. Um, People have been really enthusiastic about it and really taken on board the whole idea of really sort of flying the flag for British farming. Um, And it hasn't been easy um, because when I first moved up into the country and to be with John, um, I didn't really have many friends or family or a very good supporting network near me. So when I first gave birth to Heidi, who's now five years old, um i think when um, when um, a baby is born a mother is born as well and i took that on board and it was a real struggle to begin with um and it d- definitely did have its unique challenges but since doing the book and really embracing the whole country life and really having a fantastic support network now because of local baby groups and having a good support network with my friendship groups as well it's really taken on board and it's really going very well so i'm very fortunate
0: I love that phrase, when a baby's born a mother is born as well. I think that's fantastic. I love that. I've never heard that
5: before, actually. <laughs>
0: and I, I was reading that when, when you gave birth, it was in the middle of the harvest um, season. Yes, is well, that, it was just right? after
5: harvest, actually, just after drilling, um, um, just after drilling for the following year's harvest. And, yes, um, John was around quite a lot, actually, so I was very grateful to that. But I think it was the whole weaning process when Heidi was six months, that it was very very a different story. I had a revolving kitchen door when I was feeding my daughter and feeding myself and feeding my husband who was going up and down on the tractor all day. (laughs) I really didn't know where to start in terms of um, what dishes to cook and that's really when the idea of the book came about was actually having a recipe book that I can go to where I could feed everybody on the go at the same time whilst weaning my daughter. It was quite challenging but quite fun and quite an eye-opener at the same time.
2: Jenny you you mentioned you just said that it was an eye now and you were trying to feed the farming life there is a sort of a huge community when it comes to farming isn't there so do you it's almost like the 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 recipes get passed on did you did you have a little bit of that as well where recipes were being passed to you from say your husband's family Oh um, yes, I mean
5: that's why the idea of the book came about really because we wanted to share the recipes and we wanted people to sort of real sort of engage a, a, a whole community about sharing recipes which is, brings on to the nice social media aspect of the book at the moment. We're trying to, com- to create a nice community on Facebook and Instagram where people can really showcase what they've cooked from the book and take photos and show people what we've shared. Uh, we haven't so much got recipes handed down from the family on our side of the family for sure. Um, but certainly there are recipes in the book that have been handed down through generations through farming
2: communities so let's go back to the book actually so the love of the land have you said is a real labor of love and so were you were you testing the recipes as well as having children as well as running a farm with your husband as well as writing this book <laughs> where did you get the time well I'm still slowly working my way through the recipes at the moment
5: I just baked the lavender shortbread um, a couple of weeks ago which is a lovely recipe from Castle Farm in Kent which they've shared um, so it's the question of um, make, trying to make the time. Really, I'm not quite sure where the time comes from, actually, to be honest. Um, but um, I mean, that's where my husband comes in. We, we, we work as a very good team, actually. When he's really busy on the farm, I pick up the slack and empty the dishwasher and do the cooking and the laundry. And if and when I'm busy, then he does the same as well. So we work together as a really good team. So we're really lucky that we're we're a good family and uh, we support each other in every way we can.
0: And of course, it's not a nine to five job, is it? It's not like going to an office and then when you get back home at night, you're finished. I'm assuming it's a little bit 24-7. Uh, it is. It's 24-7, 365.
5: It's yeah. pretty much working all the time and you're self-employed and you've got other added pressures that comes with that sort of working environment. Um, and it's in you're at the mercy of the weather. So, you know, you might make plans for the weekend, but um, he may not be around because of... Um, it would be the fantastic best time when there's a bit of sunshine and a bit of mm. dryness where he can go out drilling for example and then it's not wet.
0: Jenny what, I'm really curious what did you do before before you got married and, and moved on to the farm?
5: Um, before I got married and moved on to the farm I was working at a hotel as a receptionist where we actually got married eventually mm. um, and then before that I was a picture editor at Sky News at B Sky B, um, and it was working around the clock and doing all sorts of night shifts and seven-day fortnights and things like that and before then I went to university and studied music so my life now is completely different to ever how I ever imagined it would be <laughs> um, which is a real shock to the system actually um, <laughs> but I take great comfort that I can pass on um, my you know my, my, my first love which is music onto my, onto my two children. How, how did you come up with the idea of putting this recipe book together? Coming with the unique challenges of becoming a farmer's wife, I really wanted to, to, I just really had a thirst to make connections, to connect with other farmers and to share my story. I was felt quite almost ashamed almost to not really understand where my food came from and really took it for granted. And I really wanted to champion the fantastic variety of produce that we have in our country. Um, So the book contains 40 fantastic farmers from all over the country who contribute both the recipe and their story about what British farming means to them.
0: Do you find that people who have cattle tend to do very beef kind of recipes and people (laughs) who have chickens for example would be very chicken do you find it it tends to the the recipes tend to draw from the kind of farm that they come from
5: yes definitely among those who feature are a michelin-starred chef and great british menu regular tommy banks he grew up on a farm in yorkshire um, and he does a fantastic recipe and there's also a quintessentially british recipe um black brick beef bolognese from a traditional lowland farm in leicestershire They really do sort of feature the recipes of what they produce themselves on the farm. There's some edible flowers which feature in a cocktail, for example, which is quite unusual. So there's a little bit of everything from game, pork, lamb, beef, cheese and dairy to the more unusual, such as lavender, chilies and edible flowers.
2: Sounds like you, I mean, just looking back at what you have done before, I almost think that what you've done, your experiences before, Jenny, has really helped, Mm. especially the night shifts. The night shifts oh, when you're gosh. working as a big editor at, at uh at, was it sky you said yes it was well i i all those things you just never know what's around the corner do you
5: you never do and it's interesting because you just you just you, you sort of have a an idea in your head about what sort of journey you, or what sort of road you're going to go down on and you know life brings you all sorts of different challenges and different opportunities and you just don't know what's going to happen really I never thought that I'd marry a farmer or indeed produce a cookery book. I mean, I never really sort of was really that passionate about cooking, certainly about food, definitely, and enjoying it with family and friends and eating out I love all that. Um, But in terms of cooking, um, you know, it's all very still, very new to me and I'm still learning all the time.
0: There's lots of interest at the moment on the television. Uh, You probably don't have time to watch television, actually, Jenny. (laughs) But there's lots of interest (laughs) on the television in in going back to a simpler way of life. You know, we've got TV programmes like um, This Farming Life and Our Yorkshire Farm and City Life to Country Life and all of that kind of thing. Do you think there is a drive these days? Do you think that people are much more interested in just changing their lives and maybe not necessarily taking on a full-blown farm because I can imagine that's a that's a yes. big, big, you know, big deal. But do you think that more and more people are interested in just kind of cooking and being, being a bit more simple?
5: Maybe the lockdown as well has, has driven that. I think COVID-19, without a doubt, has really sort of put people in a position where they're thinking more about the simplicity of life and I really actually think the essence of our human nature we are completely disconnected from earth really essentially mm-hmm. and I think COVID-19 has really sort of produced this simplicity sort of aspiration to sort of know where our food comes from and the provenance of this so important to know where our food comes from for, for us to really enjoy it and to really be thankful about all those hard-working people who actually do works all around the clock to make sure that we have food on our tables um, such as farmers and deli workers and butchers and bakers and all those people who work with food. I think it's really uh, people do have a strong desire now to keep life as simple as possible and with all the sort of challenges that we face now with the extraordinary crisis of climate and all sorts of extenuating circumstances I think people have a thirst now to sort of really keep life as simple as possible
0: Mm, I think you're right I think we all stepped off a treadmill back in March and looked about and went
5: oh (laughs) this is this
0: is the world then you know there's that sense isn't there that 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 was a big a big change at the time
2: yes it is interesting, uh, I was talking to somebody earlier, actually. I know we're going off the track a bit when we say gardening here, but because of COVID-19 and because the title of this book is Of Love of the Land, you have a 3 million, we've got 3 million new gardeners. And very interestingly, half of them are under 45. So it is a very interesting time, isn't it, how people yeah. are realising that there is more to life and that as your book is quite aptly published at the right time i think in many ways and people are probably just realizing that there is there is land and there is to grow absolutely and to keep it really
5: simple as we said before um i think the secret is not to be intimidated by essentially a very straightforward and a very natural process to eat and to prepare our food and to enjoy it together with everybody Um, it's just such a natural thing for us to do and it's just so essential for our mental health and well-being and physical well-being but I think it's more important than ever now that we've seen before to really appreciate where our food comes from. And I think to really be interested in food, one has to know how
2: it's produced. Mm. Now, w- what about female farmers? Do you find that there is a, a sort of a modernity about farming now? That you, I, I get the impression with your own marriage, Jenny, that it's a, quite a sort of an equal partnership. You sort of take turns in doing things.
5: Very much so. I think there's a a mutual respect there for each other in what we do and what we want to get out of life together as a family and I think that's really important um, to grow together and the sort of picture of the modern woman really I, I really fundamentally believe is to sort of take and create o- opportunities and to help each other and to really sort of share all the domestic chores in the marital home um, and to really support each other as best we can.
0: Yeah. And I think that is happening more and more these days, actually. It's not like it used to be 20, 30, 40, 50. <laughs> you know, the awful thought. Years ago, things <laughs> used to be very, very different and jobs were very, very defined in the home. I think you're right. People are mucking in far
5: more now. Yes, definitely. I think it's definitely got a a philosophical thought whereby everyone just mucks in together and just helps each other out, which I think is what it should be about. There's quite a lot of women farmers out there who don't get enough credit. There's a lot of women in the the book, actually, um, especially two sisters who took over their farm in the Shetland Islands when their father died, when they were only 21 years old. And their story is actually really very, very moving. And through their strength and resilience, they've really sort of made it their own and they're really championing and enthusing young farmers to go into farming themselves Mm -hmm. so I think there's a really good female voice throughout the book I didn't want it to be defined by gender by any stretch of the imagination but definitely there's a there's a strong female voice within that book which I think is just as important
2: what's been the reaction in the farming community to your book Jenny
5: I believe it's been um, enthused and um, received positively. I haven't really heard anything bad about it. And I think all the people, all the people, all the farmers who have contributed have been really enthusiastic and really pleased um, and been so helpful um, who've been contributed in the book. And I think they're very, very happy with it. How did you
0: handle, you know, being a picture editor in the past, the illustrations for the book?
5: Well we had fantastic photographers, um, there were freelance photographers, Paul Gregory who took the front cover photo of the succulent, gorgeous, delicious pork belly on the front cover of the book, um, along with Matt Crowder and Simon Burt, who travelled the length and breadth of the British Isles taking photos of the farmers and their food um, during the whole course of the production process of the book. Um, and I think the publisher, Meze Publishing, have done a lovely job in um, putting the book together and making it really visual which was really important to me actually and probably because of my past in in working as a picture editor for Sky I think that's all becomes part of it and I think all my experiences before with the music and with the picture editing it all sort of comes together like a big jigsaw and it's all sort of fitted together and I really really feel now that I'm in a really good strong prominent place where I can have the opportunity to do this. It's it's really great. I Minette mean, Batters, the NFU president, has kindly, very kindly written the forward which really added a lot of credibility at very much in the early time of the whole process of the book. Um, and especially now as we're coming up quite politically, the political scene, there's the agricultural bill which I think is going back into the commons. There's I think the farming community is definitely trying to reach out to the consumer and really trying very much to sort of have the consumer on board with helping out with farmers um, in the words of minette batters herself she says every single person can play their part in championing uk food and farming by looking out for the union jack red tractor logo when shopping so she says that and when you're whipping up these delicious recipes remember that you too are part of the story of great british food so there's an awful lot that both everybody you and i can do to help farmers um, and that's, you know, to raise the flag for British farming. And we can do that by volunteering, signing a petition, writing a letter to your MP and having conversations like this and really bringing out into the open and into the public eye. Mm. No, well, so thank you for that.
0: Good. I know I certainly do that. I always look for UK-grown things if I can. Yeah. Because environmentally, it's, it's just, it's horrible. And also, you don't want food that's travelled for days and days before, you know, it's nice, it's fresh
5: and exactly. it's local. <laughs> yeah exactly i think it's really championing local produce and supporting your local farm shops rather than just going to the supermarket mm-hmm. and and you know the easiest sort of thing and there's a directory at the back of the book where it's got all the details and contact details and websites of all the um, contributing farmers where you can actually go and pick your own produce and and go and support them
2: and any any particular part of the book that is for your favourite I'm sort of talking about meals actually it's it's just looking at the front cover it's making me very hungry and I've already had (laughs) dinner (laughs) but what's been one of your favourite meals that you've seen in the book or maybe there's quite a few I don't know um, I think it's really the lavender
5: shortbread. I think it's such a sweet, <laughs> lovely little dish that you can just cook up at home with your children. Um, and it's it's lovely. It's slightly different. And um, I think it's very accessible. And I think this is the thing about all the recipes in the book. There's such a different variety of produce which are showcased within the recipes. Um, and they're all very accessible and very sort of straightforward to make that you can just do on your own or with your partner or with your children. Um, so I think Lavender Shortbread brought the, the most joy because I did that with my children so that was quite good fun. Um, so I would say that um, a, a small a, a proportion of the, the royalties from the book has been donated to the National Literacy Trust. Um, I think reading is a skill for life um, and that's why I wanted my book to help support such a great cause. And I fundamentally believe that if you've got an opportunity to earn
2: you've got an opportunity to give and I wanted to give something back to that.
0: That's
2: really nice. It is really nice. That
0: is really nice.
2: Anyone interested in becoming a farmer and have come from the city, is there somewhere where they could go to to get some advice from farmers before they actually make that big leap? (laughs) I believe
5: that that you can go to the Young Farmers Club. I think every region in, in the country has their own Young Farmers Club. And the National Farmers Union has got a fantastic resource um, for all sort of people whether you're farming or non-farming or whether you live in a town or country city and um, the National Farmers Union is a very good place to go to.
2: But I also think actually your book is going to be a go-to as well because <laughs> you, it's, it's got lots of information about where the food comes from as you say where you can buy this food and literally the farming community in one book. Definitely. I mean the aim of the book is to bridge the gap between
5: city and country and to educate and to inform and to connect and entertain and to share the dedication of those who produce our food in the words of the farmers themselves. So if it's something that you really want to get into or you want to learn more about your food and where it comes from, hopefully this book is a really good place to go to first and foremost.
2: Jenny Jeffries, thank you very much indeed for coming and talk to us here at Women Making Waves. I hope all the very best for your book, The Love of the Land. It's absolutely amazing.
5: Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you.
0: I thought it was really interesting that she'd moved from a non-farming background into a farming background and she really has taken it you know taken the wheel there mm. and uh, and be- become <laughs> a real driving
2: force in that community which I think is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. That takes a lot of guts but she she's great she's loving yeah, this isn't she? Yeah. I think
0: also what I, there is no better way to get to know other, you know, yeah. people in your community, then to then make a decision like that. Oh, let's get some recipes together. i you Quite. know, communicate with lots of other. And of course, as word would spread, I imagine that people were contacting her with the recipes in the end. So I, I think that that's a, a great way. Of uh, of
2: making friends, really. Yeah, it is. And what about her favourite recipe? I would have gone for the roast beef, but she wanted to go for the <laughs> lavender shortbread. <laughs> well, lavender shortbread
0: sounds really nice. It does. I'm a bit. I'm a bit. You know, I am Scottish, Susie. Yes, yeah, true. And shortbread, don't mess with it. Just don't mess with it. <laughs> yes, that's true. Actually, you're right. <laughs>
2: yes, but um, I'm not knocking the lavender shortbread. I'm sure it's absolutely beautiful. Yes, it is. It all is. But <laughs> what a, what a really interesting to talk to Jenny Jeffries
1: women making waves on cambridge 105 radio
2: linda do you find something when you go on holiday well we haven't been much on holiday but when you've had a bit of a break do you take something away and think i must do that that's such a nice thing do you discover things while you're on holiday
0: do you mean, do I take bits of stuff with me to read or work on? No, no. Because I'm really guilty about that, of going, oh, I know, while I'm on holiday, I'll have loads of time. So I'll take this with me, this unfinished thing, whatever it is, I'll take it with me, I've got loads of time, and I, you don't have loads of time at all. You never have loads of time.
2: Now, why do we not have loads of time on holiday? Because that is the whole point, isn't it, to have a rest? But
0: do you not think that when you were young... You know, when you're at primary and primary school, a day took forever. Definitely. And I'm finding the days are getting quicker and quicker. I don't know about you. I think by the time you get to 80, you must wake up and go, oh, time for bed. because <laughs> That's why elderly people
2: get up late and go to bed early, because there's no point. Because there is no time in the middle. I've just realised that my mum and her husband, I always used to take the mark to them because they would... I don't know what time they used to have breakfast, and they still do it now. But they have this—they have their dinner. You're not going to believe this, or maybe you At are. Eight they... o'clock in the
0: morning <laughs> to save time. That's the way to do it. Just get up, have dinner, go back to bed. <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly. Well, no, but I am absolutely shocked that they have their dinner, bless them, they won't mind me saying this, but they have the dinner about four o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, yeah. That's
0: tea, really, isn't it? It's, That's it's, high it's tea. tea. But That's they don't high have tea. anything
2: else. That's it. No dinner mm-hmm. for the rest of the time. Or they might have some cheese and grapes. yeah some supper yeah that's supper yeah so Mm -hmm. okay so you accept that then do you think that's all right
0: yeah i think i think that's what well i know that when i was growing up it used to be tea at five and then about half past eight nine o'clock my granny would then put a little bit of toast on or something like that and you have toast and cheese so you made sure you had complete nightmares (laughs) and then you'd go to bed about ten and that was how it was, and there was cups of tea with everything. And at tea time she'd always lay the table and she'd put little fondant fancies or something like that. Or or she'd make things. I mean she was brilliant at baking. So you'd get homemade cake and stuff like that. And there'd always be bread and butter on the table. So there'd be bread and butter, your main meal, which was quite small. You'd eat it with your bread and butter, and then you'd have your cake with your with your cup of tea, and then and then you'd clear it all the way. It would take about half an hour to put out and another half an hour to put away that's how i don't i don't know how they time for all this really and then by the time you sat down exhausted having washed the dishes by hand god help us and dried them with a with a you know put everything away (laughs) and and then you'd sit down and watch a little bit of telly in time to start the supper
2: but what does that tell you linda do we revolve around food the whole day do you think
0: well that's what it I remember, you see, because there'd be breakfast, and then at 10 o'clock, <laughs> it's not, at 10 o'clock in the morning, you, there'd, be, <laughs>
2: there'd be
0: there'd be a roll. But we were all quite slim, and and, and probably it was because we we well, took, we spent there was so time much time energy doing yes. the dishes,
2: <laughs> all the dishes.
0: Well, you on might that care. note, on that note,
2: i have got to go out <laughs> swimming again, have I? because I just went on holiday, and I don't usually like swimming. Do you like swimming?
0: In warm, really, really hot weather. Yes. Yes. It's quite nice, but it's especially nice if you've got your own pool.
2: Yes, well, exactly. What I don't because if that, you're in with a hoi polloi, oh Susie, yeah, good well,
0: gracious. I'm in with a hoi
2: I actually go in with a hoi yes. And now <laughs> right. I bought myself some trainer snorkels, trainer fins. I'm really into it. I'm loving it. But of course, two weeks and then we had the lockdown. So What's yeah. your favourite stroke then? Well, now that I've got my fins and my trainer snorkels, it's front crawl. So I'm a very happy person. Otherwise it was breaststroke. I was getting a bit bored with that. The breaststroke
0: feels like a lot of effort for not a lot of distance exactly. to me.
2: Yeah, yeah. that's exactly
0: And is. the butterfly is far too splashy. Can you it's it you just it? like drowning, <laughs> frankly.
2: <laughs> anyway, that's what I thought. I thought it was really interesting. And because it's COVID, you walk in one way to the, uh, to the swimming pool and you come out another. Instead of actually going into the changing
0: room. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> like, walk in one way, go into a communal pool. Yes. in the middle, yes. where everyone's kind of body fluids are all mixing with everyone else's. Well, yes. And then, just in case you get too close to somebody, okay. you've got to take another exit. It doesn't make any sense.
2: <laughs> it doesn't. Anyway, I don't care because I don't have to go in the changing rooms and they ask you to dress swim ready. So you have your clothes on, you walk in, you go to the side of the pool, you walk around, mm-hmm. you dump your stuff, you undress with your swimming costume on, and then you get in the pool, you come out, you wrap yourself up in a towel, and I've got this coat now that I can put on. And I go straight to my car and I go home. I don't even think You go changed. squelching home. <laughs> yes, I do.
0: Oh, my goodness. Is and that even... how it's got to be done Though no, You go I mean, out wet.
2: Yeah, well, you don't have to. You can go back into the changing room. Oh, you I... can? Yes, mm. you can. But I skip that because I don't like to go with the hypoloi.
0: The hypoloi and, and all the virus <laughs> the, in spreaders.
2: The virus <laughs> you got to swim with a mask on then I have to swim with a mask on, yeah, I can't swim without a mask actually because it goes up my nose I was or meaning that. I was meaning a mask like you wear in shops though oh no, no, that would get
0: rather wet Linda. no no,
2: no, it is a it's a snorkel mask, yeah. everyone
0: should be made to wear that in the pool now though to stop the runny nose going in the well, that's in true. the water that's
2: yeah. a good point actually, yeah, and they're breathing, yeah, I mean
0: when you're doing that crawl down the pool. <laughs> It's you're going to be yet. gasping, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, so,
2: you're. you're a, in. It's all,
0: yeah, so the air's all coming out the top, yeah, yeah. spreading itself right through the small <laughs> swimming pool with your COVID breath.
2: <laughs> well, potentially COVID yes. breath. That's all we have time for in this edition of Women Making Waves. We would very much like to thank our guests, Kasia Bosniak and Jenny Jeffries. If you know of a woman who's making waves, we'd like to speak to
0: her. You can contact us via social media on Twitter and Facebook at WomenMW or on Instagram at Women Making Waves Radio. You can also find us on Cambridge105.co.uk. Or visit our website, WomenMakingWaves.co.uk, where you can hear all of our interviews.
3: Women Making Waves is a Jibber Jabber production.